people shouting out it's coming home A chorus of ecstatic tones regardless of their mother tongue and skin tones A few minutes of unity shown, skewed perception of societal groans Stuck inside these darker undertones Prejudiced feelings no longer undisclosed They're exposed, all condoned by the powers and left us juxtaposed Standing up for injustice, greeted with booze Boozy bigots got their knickers in a twist with hypocritical views They leap and cheer when they see sterling attack But it's disturbing how the scapegoats and the failure get trashed Fuck the red tops, the toxicness is keeping us trapped Built us through to we consumers needing excuses to snap But we're cut from a different cloth, the fabric's made to answer back A product of our two cultures pushing to bridge the gap Supporting the structure of a team made of diversity Standing behind a manager, standing for mass equality Gareth's ticking the boxes, Raheem speaking the truth To Rashford fed with abuse, while still feeding their youth Shout to Saka, we're so proud of you from Greenford High So many boys can dream with the limits broadened beyond the sky It ain't about the glory, it's the journey that we learn through Can't say it's coming home without a peaceful home to come to My people adapted to over 30 years of hurt To hope to see a brown face with three lions on his shirt One day Welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello. So the usually, like, less than average energy Jojo B is on another level of no energy Excuse Jojo me, B. I always have energy. I'm tired today. I, I've started a new fitness regime. This is what I'm trying to get to, fam. And, like, I got up at six. Yes. And did this workout. And I am, it's late now. We always record really late. And mm. I'm really tired now. And I genuinely cannot move. I, I'm, my, not even, I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about the early. so much. Yes. I can't explain. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not talking about you getting up early or like it's been a long day. I'm talking about your new fitness regime. I'm how. dead. Exactly. And which means. Oh, no, she's you know, trying to kill me. I'm genuinely like, I think she's slowly just trying to kill me mm. this is what happens when you don't do like exercise for like a month or two and that's it yeah you're screwed in it <laughs> well you've only got yourself to blame but you know what it's good though because you you made a conscious effort to go back to your old regime well not your old regime your no, previous this is much harder this is but going back to a more your previous mind frame then because you know like yes. 2020 was all about fitness jojo b yeah and, i don't like, have a job then. i've got b. a job now which is sucking the life out of me so you know like it's it's tiring it's tiring i'm a mom yeah, welcome to my life, work and piss off i was not working last year i took <laughs> took on so much of the load and now so i i work i'm a mom i have a house i have well i have a home um i have exercise to do now mm. it's tiring it is yeah no definitely it's but you tiring. know and a to- podcast i do this I do this for you guys. Yeah, because every week Jojo B is just like, do we have to do another one? Do we have to keep doing this now? And I, between the two of us, I, one of us has to motivate the other one to continue doing All this. All of last year, that was you and I was the one doing the motivating. And yeah. now it's a little bit the other way around. And yeah. it's fine because we love you and we do it because we love you. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I have to pry Jojo B's eyes open uh, to enable this to happen week in, week out. 
Um, but you've got matchsticks. Matchsticks, yeah, in between your eyes. I've just painted them on top of our eyelids, <laughs> and she's doing the whole show closed-eyed. Oh my god, I would really like to do that. It feels so much better when I do that. I mean, you don't necessarily have to look at me. You can just talk and I just close my eyes. Yeah. There you go. No, there's a strong chance that this will just turn into me snoring. Just back to sleep, yeah. Or you start <laughs> dreaming about like a, another existence. <gasps> well, I do have a dream to tell you about that's to do with today's topic. Yes. So we're going to get to the elephant in the room. We're going to have to cut straight to the chase. Yeah, no dilly-dallying. No way. dilly-dallying because it was a... And a painful end to what had been an extremely optimistic, high-hoped, energy-filled, joyous month of football. All good things must end. All good things must end, but they don't have to end so tragically in the case of our nation. They ended in a way that we should all be used to. We should. This is the thing. It's the hope that really kills you. Uh, which should really be the new slogan for the England national team. Because at the end of this awesome tournament of Euro 2020, England got to the final and, of course, lost on penalties. As, as what, 30 million people would have witnessed this Sunday night. Didn't I tell you, night. as soon as they equalised, this is going to penalties. Yeah, no, I... Knew I it. I, well, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm a, you, you know me already for being a very pessimistic football fan. Yeah. Well, I'm a Newcastle fan, so yeah, exactly. that tells you everything you there need you to go. know. So between the two of us, we <laughs> went in with not low expectations, but I guess we were a little bit more realistic uh, in comparison to the clamour of the whole nation. We've learned our lessons yeah, exactly. in the past. What, this, this team showed something else to me you know there was a different dynamic it was a, a different feel and it a, energy it was a beautiful thing to witness it was and to see us you know get past germany which we haven't seen pretty much in our lifetimes in a knockout game yeah and then you know breeze past ukraine edge past denmark in that epic semi-final in extra yeah. time and it was like oh my god we've actually seen us get to a final of a major tournament like for the first time again in our lifetimes and so this was new. This was a whole brand spanking new dynamic for England. And so you kind of think, well, if they're breaking all these barriers and changing up the narrative and destroying all those old traditional woes that we're so used to, why can't we win this competition? Especially because it's at home, at Wembley, in England. Because we simply came up against the best team in the tournament. We did. We did indeed. And everyone would go about, oh, they're so dirty. And they did But essentially, they are the best team in the tournament. The Italians were, I'd say, up until the, the semi-final, the end of the semi-finals, I would have kind of said the best two teams in the tournament are in the final based on their performances. And I think by the end of it, you realised who the best team in the tournament was. You mean when they won the final? But it's the way they performed <laughs> in the final. No, because it's like there was quite, it was, there was a lot of balance between the two. Yes, there was. So it it's was. not like you're like one team was amazing and England just shoddily got to the final and then obviously the best no, team no, won. No, 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 they didn't. They didn't shoddily get to the final. They deserved to be in the final. They exactly. were very good. They did have a lot of, you know, home advantage in the same way that Italy had a lot of home advantage. Definitely, yep. And there's been a lot of... Um, Twitter chat about that and the yeah. um, especially from Scotland and Wales fans. Yeah. Um but it's 
it's uh we yeah we deserve to be there yeah <laughs> It's, we did deserve no, to be there. We did there. deserve, we to, did be deserve there. to be That's there, the and thing. it is the best that we've ever seen in our lifetimes, which is mad. Yeah, exactly. You know, given how old we are, <laughs> right? But you know, like I think anyone, anyone who's an England fan and has seen us get to each stage has just expected the worst and then been pleasantly surprised. Mm. It doesn't matter how good your team are. We've always, I think that's just, we're programmed to be that way because we've had amazing teams before Mm. with big, big name players, right? And we didn't get this far. So with a young team, you know, an inexperienced team, Mm. you kind of didn't expect them to get that far. And so you were always expecting them to fail, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and I then get that. and then they didn't fail because they didn't have the pressure that maybe those other teams had in the past. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, there was a, obviously the golden generation with all those Lampards and Gerrards and Rooney's, etc. And, and, and Beckham, and Beckham, you know, stuff. like we had some of the best. Amanda did nothing. Amanda did nothing. I know exactly, but nothing. we had all of these amazing players, and they had. They never performed because they had so much pressure on them yeah. and so much, so much expectation. And these guys, we were just like, yeah, whatever. They'll never get that far. And then look where they got to. Yeah. Because they didn't have that crazy media pressure. And now imagine there's also social media on top of that mm, these days. Mm. But like the media used to just pile in and it would be like the hope of the nation is on this team. They're going to carry us forward. Yeah. They're going to be our saviors. You know, like a shining light from heaven will come down on them. Yeah. Like, and all this stuff used to be just like piled on them. Whereas this team, I think, had less of that. And also they had a very good manager yeah, no, who I, protected them from that, having been through it himself. I totally agree in terms of the manager. I actually went into the tournament thinking Gareth Southgate was probably the weakest link in terms of this team. I, I kind of felt that... Do you think, yeah, I think I he kinda, proved himself pretty think, well before? Well, he okay, so we got to the semi-finals of 2018. I remember us talking about this show, uh, I think it, was, it must have been season two maybe, or season one, I can't remember, at the end of the World Cup. And it was like, this was a massive missed opportunity and he made too many mistakes in the semi-final, didn't make the changes when he needed to. And Croatia came back in the game, it, especially after we'd led from like, the opening few minutes. And we ended up losing that. And that was like, oh my God, this was our chance to get to a major tournament final and we blew but then it. Anyone who's Let in me a... finish. Oh, sorry. And then then you kind of felt that this time around, the Nations League, we've again finished third. And it was like, okay, it's going well. The last year of results for England haven't been so great. They lost at home to Denmark. Um, and a few of the performances have kind of been decent to average at best. And so you went into it with a, with him still deciding what his best team was and wasn't quite sure in the positions and the formation and so there was there was a lot in the air in terms of what England are we going to expect to see come the first game of the tournament obviously with the group stages there was still a little bit up and down we drew against Scotland and there was a little bit of oh my god it's not coming home got through that and I think going further into the tournament you've been able to see Gareth Southgate make the changes and make the uh the dis- the right decisions that have worked in his favor to enable us to get to the final and i think some of it could have been his own tactics and his decision making but also with making those a couple of small little things made a difference and i've got obviously you've got to give it to the manager obviously in that in that instance but, i mean so what i was going to say was earlier um well, me, i haven't finished yet shut so- up <laughs> to hear about your bloody like fan tactics what i was gonna say was was that he is 
a man who's been in a job for a while and if you don't learn in your job mm. then you're not good at your job yeah. you're not doing your job because you're not if you're not progressing and learning things as you go so two years ago or three years ago he didn't do as well as he did now because three years on he's learned some shit yeah and that's how it's supposed to be in any job right yeah he's supposed to become I know some of it's, it like comes naturally, but being a tactician comes from learning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, it comes from understanding strategy. And that's the same in any job. And so he's learned strategy and he understands how to do work this. And I think in the competition, people were still questioning him, which undermines you and under, and kind of it, it affects your confidence. Hmm. When you start seeing your decisions paying off, your confidence grows. Yeah. And you're just like, do you know what? You lot can fucking shut up. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. I'm making the decisions I want to make. And people constantly were like, oh, why isn't this person style? Why isn't he style? What's he doing here? And it worked. Yeah. It worked every time. So sometimes just like you were just going off on one about with your like kind of you know your ideas of what he should and shouldn't have been doing yeah. every other fucking fan of course usually yeah, yeah, of course. men that will sit there and they will be like i could do that job because they've played bloody championship manager before <laughs> i've played championship manager i don't get paid the money to be to make these decisions yeah so they he knows i think sometimes you can see when someone's doing something glaringly obviously bad right yeah, yeah. and we've had plenty of england managers who've done that and you're like what the fuck was that but he seems to, I think he think I think he just needed the confidence in himself. Yeah. And you you can't blame him for not feeling confident with everything that's happened in his past. Even though he's grown and he's grown up so much since then. Yeah. And all that stuff, it still must be at the back of your mind. I got fucking hammered last time I made a mistake, mm. and this I'm in this position again at a, you know in a massive tournament in a in a position of power and importance and if i make a mistake again they're gonna gun me again they're mm. gonna ruin my life again and that god that has to be at the back of your mind yeah no the, the pressure of that is uh you know unsurmountable um because and then you also have on your on okay. your shoulders well i haven't finished <laughs> right you also have on your shoulders the the weight of looking after these youngins that are in your mm, team yeah because you know what it feels like to go through that and how much it can destroy you yeah and you don't want them to go through that yeah no, and so you're like there to try and like a father figure try and protect them yeah as well as get them to do their job yeah you know and as well as trying to figure out everything else that's going on and deal with the suits at the top who have an opinion on everything no of course yeah. you know as senior managers love to do but like I just think, I think as a man, he handled things very well as a, as a, as a leader, as someone who's had really bad managers for herself in the past, right? Yeah, yeah, in course. just jobs where the, no one's had you back yeah. and everyone will turn like, you know, they just turn on you the, the minute they can, when the shit hits the fan, it's just like, well, it's your fucking fault. I'm going to come out of this scot yeah, yeah, free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to wash my hands of you. He hasn't done that and he wouldn't do that. Mm. And I think that's the, the sign of an upstanding man. I, I completely agree as in terms of a leader and what he's brought not only to the team, the youngsters especially, um, enabling them to become, um, you know, a much more well-rounded team. It's a much, it feels like a club team rather than a sum of all these superstars like it was previously. Yeah. A lot of the managers the previously, I'm still, I'm still talking, um, <laughs> a lot of the previous managers couldn't quite grasp in terms of the tribalism between clubs. And so you'd have people not getting on with each other and that would reflect with performances on the pitch with, you know, players not in, exactly in cohesion 
cohesion and he's been able to mold this team into a kind of a more club feel we you smoking that into a more club mentality. I am still talking, yeah. And, and and enable this team to to function more like a team. And so the drive through the tournament has been on like a, on a like a club basis rather than a, as a national team. And so yeah, there's gonna be you say that didn't there was no pressure on the team coming into it. I disagree. I think there was there was a lot of pressure. This is a home I'm finished. This is a home <laughs> tournament, in essence, because they played most of all their games at Wembley. So and the semi-finals, we always knew before the tournament, the semi-finals were going to be at Wembley and the final was going to be at Wembley. And the minimum requirement before the tournament was for England to at least get to the semi-finals to show that there's some progression. They got to the semi-finals, they got to the final. The opportunity to play at home in a major tournament final is few and far between. We've only ever seen it once before in 1966. They couldn't get to the Euro 96 final. They got to this final this was the this was the opportunity to make that happen and unfortunately it was pretty much almost a mirror reflection to a point of the 2018 world cup semi final we took the lead really early and then basically just allowed the other team into the game and italy grew in confidence the same way croatia grew in confidence in that game and for me gareth southgate didn't get what he needed to do right he didn't make the changes when he needed to 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 at least restore a bit more balance in the midfield because Italy were like dominating in the second half and throughout extra time it felt like there was only going to be one team that was going to win it and by the time it got to penalties it was already the, the context was already done for me at that point okay and tactician <laughs> I'm just saying I'm just saying, everyone's what, had an opinion what's on happened this. to I'm what sure, I should have said it to a football show what, well exactly so to rein it back in again yeah. what I was saying what I meant was that not that there wasn't any pressure on them in terms of um, media and people like speculating and stuff I yeah. just think the expectation wasn't there as it was in the past mm. there wasn't as much people didn't expect them to do very well <laughs> people didn't expect anything to come of it they sh- it was kind of like, like oh, it should happen because we've got all these things working in our favour yeah. but it probably won't so there wasn't that expectation there was like you know everyone gets into the spirit of things and there's yeah. fun and stuff but there wasn't this kind of like well there you know we ex- it has to happen it's expected to happen people sing that bloody song every i mean i'm so over that song now <laughs> right and i used to love it is I've, okay i've got the original version on tape from euro 96 mm-hmm. i went to hmv in newcastle and bought it we had this conversation the other day is that song a jinx that song just um, who wants to hear oh three lines on a shirt 60 years of hurt no one wants to hear it no mm. one wants to th- hear that version anymore yeah. let's just sack it off and do what we used to do before and get a new song every tournament like you know where's world in motion but it'll never be it'll never be as ca- it'll literally never be as catchy as three lines on a shirt it, no it won't but it'll be different uh, and you know I'd like there was at one point wasn't Chumba Wumba our, our track for a little while just like random yeah. kind of songs mm. I, we don't someone can come up with another catchy song yeah, and we yeah. never have to see bloody Badil and Skinner on our t- on our bloody screens milking it every tournament no, I I'm just over it now I used yeah. to be a big fan I'm massively over that song and also where are the lightning seeds they're the ones who should get all of the credit right? I mean, they're just sitting back and just taking in all the royalties from yeah, they're getting, they're well, getting good the best for them. them do you know what I mean like I, I at least they're getting something out of it yeah. but yeah I don't want to see Badil and Skinner talking about 
bollocks. All right. Well, it's it's coming home aside. It obviously didn't come home uh, because it, as soon as it went to penalties, there was only going to be one winner. Uh, and that ended up obviously being Italy. Uh, England lost on penalties as they've done previously. Uh, the one thing that was very different with this penalty shootout was three players missed who all happened to be black players. Now, that's for me is purely coincidental. That wasn't the case for a lot of, I wouldn't even use the word fans because fans, like fans of England, don't discriminate against the players of England. And, yeah, they don't and, turn on their own team. Absolutely. But that's exactly what transpired. And there was uh, a huge level of racist abuse against um, Jaden Sancho uh, and Bukayo Sacco and Marcus Rashford. It literally, the the minutes after the penalty shoot had finished. I uh, think even as it was going on, to be honest, I just, so you left the room when yeah. the penalty shoot started. I couldn't watch started. it. He couldn't too, watch it. So he tense. left the room and I sat on the sofa on my own, hid behind a cushion and watched it from behind yeah. the cushion. And the only thought that I had in my head from the, the minute the, the, the penalty started, please don't let any of the black players miss. That was the first thing that came into my brain. Yeah. And it's a horrendous thing to have to think, but that's the world we live in currently in this country. Yeah. And that was the atmosphere that had already been brewing yeah. through this tournament. And before, you know, like Marcus Rashford has had loads of online abuse and stuff prior to this yeah. for completely different reasons. And and so it, it was just like this kind of fear. And then that's what happened. And... I just my heart sank. Yeah, totally. Um, and because because you you knew exactly where it was going. Uh, the, this country's always been like great at laying the blame at an, either an individual or a couple of individuals uh, as soon as there's any kind of tournament exit. We we saw it from '96 from the manager himself when he missed the penalty, and he's and he like he said at, at times throughout this tournament he can't take that hurt will never go away from him. Like yeah. he's given new memories to a lot of the nation now, but that hurt for him that day will never go away. And unfortunately, for every time there's a penalty shootout and every time there's people miss penalties or there's a sending off and stuff, they never hear the end of it. And that, that they carry that with them throughout their entire careers. Yeah. And this, for me, is something that hopefully, fingers crossed, is not necessarily the case. But in terms of the level of abuse and what that abuse in abuse entails specifically that because it's discriminatory and it's racist i think sets a whole different precedent to anything that's happened previously it's that it's that kind of oh when when you're doing well then you're one of us yeah and when you're not doing well then we don't know you you don't belong to us you don't belong here i yeah. mean in a, in a lesser extent we've seen that happen to andy murray every time he lost anything yeah, in tennis yeah, yeah, you know when he lost he was scottish when he won he was british yeah totally and that was like that was a running joke yeah but it's not funny no of course not and it was only deemed a joke because he was white yep yeah but actually just that kind of you know we'll accept you when we feel like it and we'll reject you at all costs if yeah. we if you don't perform for us because you're supposed to if you want to be part of us you need to do well otherwise fuck off yeah you know that's that's the pressure that i think we all feel in our day-to-day -day lives in a lot of ways yeah, that yeah. we have to outperform we have to you know over we have to be overly academic we have to be overly um 
we just have to be better at yeah, everything, yeah, basically. Yeah, course, we have yeah. to do better at all costs. Mm. And you have to have much more experience on your experience, on your um, CV or you have to, all this stuff that comes into play in our everyday lives. Yeah. It's magnified when you are doing a job like being a footballer for the England team. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally. Um, it, but because of all that uh, and and what we've witnessed in the days since the final and, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been a, a, a great, you know, um, show of support for the players as well, which has been awesome to see. But, yeah, the outpouring of love was yeah. just as instant because everybody had the same thought. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we all yeah. knew what was going to go down. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And that, that's and that's and that's been really um, heartening to see and is really warming to see. Uh, but obviously, that still doesn't stop continual abuse. That still doesn't stop all these things happening on social media. Um, and it's it's made us kind of look at you know the the, the wider picture in terms of ourselves and and our identity and how how english do we really feel how british do we really feel and i think this tournament has kind of brought out the best in us in terms of our national pride but it's also made us feel sometimes slightly disconnected away from it as well because of the the levels of discrimination that have kind of taken place especially after the final and I think that's something that we really wanted to tackle for this show. And so on the other side of this break, we're going to be talking about identity and exactly how British or how English do we really feel. See you on the other side, people. second half of the native immigrants i'm swami barakas and i'm jojo b and as mentioned at the end of the first half of this show in this half we're going to be talking about identity it's something that we have covered a few times before on our show in different ways in different ways yes indeed um but this time around is i guess a lot more poignant <laughs> more than anything else well i think it's timely that we deal with it because Yes, the football has got the conversation happening. Yeah, yeah, but we it, this has been building. No, it has, this has of been course. building, and this atmosphere has been building for a long time. Yeah, and I think that the football was just that little spark to ignite it. But it, but it, it's in two different ways. It, the spark to ignite it is one thing, but it also it was a little bit of an escape from it as well because. Going into this tournament, the last preceding like two, three years, let's just use the word toxic uh, when we talk about the society here in the UK um, was probably the most apt word because a lot has been bubbling under the surface. A lot of stuff has come out into the surface and we've witnessed it before our eyes, not just from people in public, but also from the powers that be as well at the same time. Mm. And so... It was, it, we came into this tournament with obviously the way the public is and the way society is, but football has a way of bringing people together. And so you did feel a sense of national pride collectively, not just, not just the white community, the black community, as well as the Asian community. There was a collectiveness with England. And I think we all rejoiced together with 
the you know the success of the team. Mm. But obviously, reality came and slapped us back in the face at the end of the tournament, and so it was like that sort of like that five minutes of like unity, um, like I, which you've heard in you know the start of the show. You'd have heard my freestyle called "This Is England," where I detailed a lot of this stuff. Now I wrote all that before the final. Yeah. Which is which is crazy when you think of what transpired after the final and everything that was said in that verse basically equated to actual life events. Um, yeah. Call me Nostradamus if you feel. But I I wrote that not so much kind of like in a um, in a in a way of kind of the doom and gloom of of what England is, but it was just to say, look. It's great to see that we're a successful nation football-wise and everyone's getting together and it's a, it's a lovely time period. But let's not forget also that underneath all that, there's still a darker context. There's still so much prejudice. There's still so much discrimination. Mm. And we need to work collectively, um, not just our communities from our, within ourselves, but also you know, calling out these things in the wider community to alleviate these things going forward. That was my, you know, my my thinking with with writing that verse. And it's just crazy how everything that I said in it ended up, you know, transpiring. And I think that then obviously made us think about the the context of what we need to speak about for this show when we talk about we do talk about identity. And mm. we it is a lot of self-reflection. And that's not just based on this one tournament and because it's easy to say that it's a fucking lifetime of it yeah exactly because i think most people listening to this will have at least at some point in their life um had a conflicted nature when it comes to your identity um and the 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 sort of tug of war between those two cultures the british culture and the asian culture i think anyone who's asked where are you from where are you really from it, that 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 immediately makes you question your identity because someone else is questioning it yeah um you know like you can't just say like if i say oh, i'm from newcastle yeah no but where are you really from mm, yeah and i'm like well i've just told you i'm from newcastle so yeah. that's where i'm from of course but that people don't want to believe that you know i could say oh well i was born in the midlands yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> there, there's that's where if you really want to know where i'm from that's where i was born hmm. but i'm a geordie you know brought up people don't want to know they're like oh where, do you, where are you from oh you're from india oh okay where in india are you from yeah, yeah. i'm like i mean do you know india like do you know <laughs> do you want to know which bin i'm from because i can tell you but like or where my family are from even not where i'm from i'm from here yeah of course it's 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 that constant questioning that makes you then question yourself and feel like you don't belong mm. when you do yeah or do you well, see, it's, it's interesting that you talk about the kind of where where you're from and where you're really from. I was on uh, the BBC Asian Network mm. uh, just this week. Um, and the, the topic of discussion was actually to do with uh, Tyro Mings uh, having, answering back to Preeti Patel yeah. on social media because um, she said that the the racist abuse against the, uh, the team is disgusting mm. and, you know, we... You know, we don't condone this and it's uh, mortifying and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, take into context that she was the first person to condone the booing towards the players taking the knee because she looked at it as, inverted commas, gesture politics. Um, uh, and so, you know, in, like allowed this to happen. And we've seen it 
in all the games so far where England have played. Yeah. And so she put that tweet out. She got lots of people getting back to her, obviously, about it, um, you know, telling her exactly where she can get off. But Tyra Mings was actually one of the few footballers, one of the few players who plays for England as part of the national team to stand up and say, no, this is not right. You Look what you said to us before. Uh, you can't just basically, you know, turn around and say this isn't because of your own actions, basically, you yeah. know. Um, and so, yeah, the, this is what the, the conversation was about uh, on an Asian network. And so I was on there and there was a, there was a caller on that show and um, he spoke about like the BLM movement in the States last year and saying we shouldn't be bringing over their, um, their politics almost in a way into this country because there was no real issues and stuff before. And now all of a sudden, everything is linked to racism. Everything is linked to discrimination. Everything is linked to to that that movement and stuff, uh, you know. And and the the conversation just kind of carried on. I'm I'm sitting there kind of listening to these people and or what they're saying, and they're talking about how the abuse that you hear on the street um, and then the abuse that you get on social media are two very very different things, and how you should brush one off. And kind of deal with one the other way. I'm just like, how is that any different? How we, how is abuse on the street any different to abuse on social media? You know, one's one said it, one said to your face, or one said behind your back is exactly the same thing. Yeah. And so this is what I'm trying to argue with this guy, and he just he was not having it. He was like, no, these are these are two very very different things. It was that, and, and this, there's different levels of abuse, and there's different levels of discrimination. Um, it was you know it was that classic model minority uh, way of thinking that yeah, the, that's happening with the black community yeah but with us it's not it's not it doesn't really involve us and stuff you know all lives matter in this in this instance oh, basically and i think a lot of that is like i'm gonna bury my head under the sand yeah so if it doesn't directly affect me yeah then i'm gonna just pretend it's not happening yeah. i'll look the other way i won't deal with it I won't have anything, I won't take any ownership of being part of it. Because yeah. the more you ignore stuff, the more you're involved in letting it happen. Yeah, of if course, you allow of it to happen, you are part of the problem. And and I think, unfortunately, Asians are happy in general. Yeah, there is There is a chunk of us that don't want this to be the case. But in general, Asians are happy to look the other way, pretend it's not happening, Stay quiet, get on with their lives, assimilate. Assimilate is the right word. Would you say, though, that that's more because we're conditioned from our parents' generation because they had to do that and they had to endure that in order for us to basically feel a little bit more assimilated in this country and trying to integrate within society? And so they had to almost turn the blind eye when it came to racism. We did see, obviously, the Southall riots and we did see the Bradford riots and we saw um, the Brixton riots. So we saw the fight back against discrimination and the right wing. Um, but then, obviously, once things settled back down, then we kind of, yeah, we became, a lot of my own community became the model minority community thereafter. And they kind of just um, became a lot more, um, you know, just, yeah, turning the blind eye or, um, you know, I was I was having an inter interesting conversation on Twitter about how it's we don't want to deal with that much prejudice because we deal with so much within our own communities of discrimination against each other's communities that to deal with the discrimination outside of that we turn more of a blind eye to it. Well, no, I think because then what you they 
as soon as you start talking about the discrimination that happens against other communities outside of the Asian community, you then have to introspectively look at the state of yourself, basically. And and that's what people don't want to do. They don't want to be like, well... Um, I'm going to call out that discrimination over there, but then actually my colorism or my casteism, hmm. I'll I'll just quietly carry on doing that. You can't do that because you're a hypocrite, and, yeah, exactly. and and no one wants to. No one really feels comfortable being a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's doing one thing over there and then doing another thing over over here. Yeah, people will call you out on it eventually because yeah, they'll totally. see it happening. And I think I think that's why when we talk about systemic racism in this country Hmm. the system of racism within the asian community is thousands of years old yeah totally you know the the system of prejudice should i say is thousands of years old and it is something that if it's difficult to unpick in this country as a whole because of the institutions that it's in Hmm. imagine what it's like to unpick it within our community and the complexities within our community yeah. you know uh, it's it's a hard thing and i had this conversation at work the other day um just about how it's it's much easier to just go acknowledge it yeah and then just never do anything about it yeah totally 100%. so cuz you can feel like you've done something by just acknowledging it hmm. but you don't really have to do anything you know by actively kind of making change happen it was the same as last year when everyone got the reading list i got the reading list yeah you know it didn't read half the books yeah and so then what are you doing to make change happen yes you could even if you did read all the books you can educate yourself yeah but education is really part of it the action that that happens off the back of that education is what really matters yeah and and i think that's the bit that everybody feels like is hard work yeah and i can't be asked you know, and that's that's the attitude that runs within our community and lots of other communities, the white community as well. Or you know, wherever there's prejudice, it usually just feels a bit too hard to to stop being prejudiced. But also, also, and to add to that, is it also like a level of subservience? Is it is there yes. elements of like the whole colonial mentality, like the colonized mentality? You know that we still sometimes have as a not 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 like individually and stuff like that but you know sometimes as a general with lots of our community where we're still looked at as the kind of the subservient communities here in the UK I think see now I don't have an East African connection in my family right in my in my side of the family I know your side of the family does and I think that East African Asian mentality is very different because what happened was there that the british empire created hierarchies of ethnicities and so a lot of the people who come who've come from east africa have still have that mentality that kind of like well i'm i'm still better than them Yeah, yeah yeah so um, I'm happy because I'm still better than someone. I might not be as good as the white people, but I'm still better than the black people. That, that's the that's the attitude that, I mean, I've heard people say that. You know, I've heard people kind of be comfortable in saying that. Yeah. And, and I think that that is a learned behavior that needs to be unlearned in our generation that was born here. Yeah, yeah. Because totally. we don't have an excuse. No, you know, true. we weren't born into that. Yeah. And so 
we might come from families that have, and they might have tried to instill that in us yeah. from a young age, but that's no excuse because you haven't been born into that system. Yeah, and true. so you shouldn't, you should be actively trying to unlearn whatever you've been taught by your families because prejudice is learned. It's not, you, you see little kids playing together. They don't understand, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that the differences in terms of skin color race is not a thing for them. Mm. So the, 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 the prejudice that comes from whatever whatever it might be whether that's race or caste or that's learned from our families yeah true true and and how do we stop that the kind of the cycle of prejudice the cycle of trauma that we put into these children because it is traumatic yeah you know we're we're passing our trauma onto them Hmm. like our parents pass theirs and their grandparents like you know like it's it's passed down for various reasons it's like i said it's complex there's lots of different things have happened in our in our cultures yeah that are fucked up things that happen because of empire yeah true and it then created this kind of mentality of trying to stay safe in a way by aligning to the whiteness yeah yeah because if we align to whiteness then we might be slightly safer than that other community who haven't or can't align as much Mm, and so that's why you know why we why we appreciate fairness so much you know you know like fair skin yeah um is because oh it looks you could you could maybe pass as white (laughs) and then you might get more opportunities or you might not get beaten up you know like that's that's where it comes from Mm. and it's this kind of sense of safety being next to the white man yeah or or next to the white woman because you might just get away with you know being one of them (laughs) <laughs> and no one realizing yeah. and that comes from so that that's been learned and that's trauma that's been passed down to us that we need to now uncolonize our minds yeah yeah or decolonize our minds and unlearn that that trauma there's this you know the thing of generational trauma yeah and i have learned a little bit about it recently and it's fascinating how much because it can it can affect your dna like literally, like if you've experienced trauma while you're pregnant, it can affect the DNA of your child or like the gene, the genetic makeup <laughs> really? of your child. Yeah, okay. because it, it's like the I don't know the pathways in your brain or something, but like it affects them because of the amount of serotonin that's in your body. Yeah, and so I I just think we have to be really conscious of what we're doing in our own lives, and we have to. Re- and I think that comes from now figuring out what the fuck identity means to us. Yes, exactly. What does what does being British or English mean to us now? Because we now need to think about what we're passing on to that next generation. Yeah. No, this is the thing. So if we take it all the way back now, so we're, you know, football aside, you yeah. know, and, and and actually, no, if we talk about this in terms of like just, you know, simplifying it a little bit more, we're, throughout the course of my life, I've always felt I'm British Asian. I think I've always kind of been very vocal about that. You know, I, I love the fact that I'm a product of two different cultures and two cultures that I'm very proud of, British and Asian. Mm. Now, when it comes to things like this with football and the, the national team and the feeling of being English, what, what, let me ask you this, this question. English and British... Mm. Is there a difference? And if so, w- which one do you feel? That is a very good question. Throwing <laughs> you straight in the deep end. Yeah. Um, I guess, I think in the past, I would have said that I was English. Right. Because I was so 
I I was so into football, right? When yeah. I was younger. And always said we're going to move away from football, but I was yeah. so into football and that sense of, and I think Euro 96 for people who were my age was a really big thing, yeah. right? And it was like this massive tournament that was happening. Football's coming home, the original, mm. and you know, and like, it was like, we, there was this like nationalism that wasn't scary for us because I was still a kid. I was like a teenager at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't, the, that sense of nationalism didn't scare me. Yeah. The flag didn't scare me. And so I found my identity with that, hmm. you know? I would paint my nails with the with the St. George's flag and stuff like, you know, I did all of that. Okay. Um, and and I didn't I didn't find it scary. My dad just looked at me like, what on earth, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. But I would have always said that I was English because I, I have such a great affinity to the English football team. Right. Tribalism in football is another thing that we need to talk about at some point because it's fascinating. But I, um, now as I get older, I guess I would say I was more British. Hmm. And I think there's a subtle difference. I think there's this kind of like the Britishness and understanding what Britishness means is that there are other nations that make up Britain yeah. or the UK. And I, and they have their issues with England that I can understand mm -hmm. as the child of an immigrant. Yeah. I can understand what Scotland or the Welsh or Northern Ireland. Yeah. I mean, especially Northern Ireland, I guess, can, you know, the story of partition in Ireland is is horrific. Yeah, Just yeah, as yeah. the story of partition, in, you know, in the subcontinent. Yeah, yeah. And so as you grow up, you understand what what's happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and then there's the whole issue of, well, actually, you know, it was the British Empire. Yeah, exactly. Everyone was exactly. involved. So then, you know, how comfortable do I feel with that as well, with that identity? But I guess I feel more, it's a long way around of saying I feel more British than I do English these days. Yeah, the, yeah, I'm, well, I feel the same. Um, I, it's weird. I think if you ask me, like, about being English, or feeling English, I'd say that I am English, but I don't feel English. Would be the would be my easiest way of equating that. Oh, we were born in England, so yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I definitely feel more British than I do I, than I am English. I just I guess I feel I totally agree in agreement with you. When I think of Britain, I think of like all the components. You know, like when I think of the whole, like, I'm not saying Scotland's any more diverse than, than Wales, is any more diverse than Northern Ireland, any more diverse than England, but it's, it's the sum of all the components. And it's the, it's the, so I learned recently that in Wales, uh, you know, people used to, people spoke Welsh, that was the main language yeah, yeah, in Wales. Yeah, yeah. The English came along and said no. Yeah, 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 And they did this in many of their colonies as well, where they just were like, no, you're going to speak English and you will never learn Welsh. Not, you will have nothing to do with the Welsh language. It won't even be your second language. It will be a dead language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was the aim. Hmm. And anyone who spoke Welsh was treated as second class yeah. or was um, dismissed. And, you know, you were just ignored. You didn't, there were, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that you could do. Yeah. They wouldn't allow you to learn it in school or speak it at home or anything like that. It was frowned upon. And you hear about stuff that happened in like Canada or New Zealand or whatever. You know, the people, the First Nations people in those areas were not allowed to learn their culture or learn their language. Yeah. And so you can see the, you know, you learn 
the yeah of course yeah the, history the kind, yeah. And, yeah of course and the politics There's, there is like a symmetry there that happened across the across the world yeah yeah and that was very much an english thing that was imposed on the other nations of this country as well yeah yeah again Everyone was part of the British Empire. <laughs> this, you know, this is why this is why you can understand feeling so so unbelievably conflicted about, you know, like identifying yourself as British, but with that comes such a, a weight and a gravitas of history against your people and your mm. communities and yeah. your motherlands as such. So. Like identifying yourself as British can be very difficult um, because you're constantly reminded of what the British Empire did across all of those colonies, including your own. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it comes straight back down to the point of like, you know, you're asking me again, like, I am a British Asian. Mm. Like the, the British in that, as much as I am proud of being British that's still it's still the back of my mind is is very conflicting when saying that because of everything that's happened and so then what like what can you like what are you allowed to identify yourself as in this day and age because you're if i if i say i'm british then i am i'm disrespecting my asian background if i if i say that i'm overly asian or i'm i'm totally asian and i'm nothing else then what am i doing living in this country you know, in my British house, in my British job, with, your British, with passport. British British passport, exactly, with a British wife, you know, if you want, you know, it's like, it feels like at every point in time, if I identify myself as one thing, then I'm, I'm discrediting something else about my life. And so you, you can never be, you can never feel whole. Like if you're like, if you're yeah. a, a regular, like white person on the street, who's lived in England, raised in England, born, brought up here, his parents are, he can say he's English and have no qualms about that. We don't have that satisfaction. We don't have that that sense of comfort in, in being able to identify that. And the football proved that because as soon as those lads missed, yeah. their Britishness was rejected. Exactly. exactly. And, and then that, you, so we all live with that fear because we stand out because of us, the, uh, the color of our skin, mm. that, that as soon as we step out of line, we will be rejected. Yeah, we will be sent back home to a, pla- a land that isn't our home. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and we've seen it happen. Mm. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, everyone knows what happened with Windrush. Uh, you know, in the yeah, last couple of years. Yeah, with Windrush and Shemima Begum. Mm, yeah. You know, she she did something illegal. She did something stupid. She did something, you know, horrendous yeah. by running off to join ISIS. I mean, it's a pretty big thing. Yeah, no, it was. It was a horrendous thing. But what it comes down to is that legally she was British. Yeah, yeah, And totally. the British establishment, the British justice system was supposed to deal with her when she got back. Yeah. What they did was they rejected her. They yeah. said, you're, you're stripped of your citizenship. With, yeah, and that is a scary, scary place to be. No matter what you think of what she did, mm. the fact is, is that she was supposed to serve her time in yeah. prison here as a British citizen. She was supposed to go through the justice system because she was British, yeah, and she was supposed to be dealt with here. Mm. But no, she was sent to Bangladesh, and Bangladesh are like, "What are we going to do with her? Yeah, yeah, she has nothing to do with us," you know, and and. And then she has just been left in this limbo. Yeah, totally. And 
I, you know, I do not have any sympathy with what she did. Mm. Right? It was wrong. She could have been groomed. There's a there's a whole kind of question yeah, yeah, around yeah, what so. happened. That's yeah, separate, separate that's separate, separate to yeah. what has happened in that she was stripped of her nationality. And like you said, with the with the Windrush generation and the the kids that were born and brought up here who are now being sent back to homelands. Yeah. Right. That they have no idea about. That they have no relationship with. And then being left, you know, some of them were really ill and were being treated by the NHS and their treatment got taken away from them instantly. Yeah, yeah. And they were left to die here. They were left to die in the Caribbean. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. You know, and that is what happens when you are the child of an immigrant in this country, no matter how British you might feel. And we've been brought up that way and our accents are that way. And, you know, when I speak Punjabi, I still have a bit, a bit of a British accent. And so everyone takes the piss out of me and stuff, right? No matter how any of that stuff plays into our lives, how connected we feel to our other heritage. Yeah. We can still be rejected by the place that we call home. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you you put that, you know, that term, it stuck in limbo, um, specifically into Shaman Begum, being yeah. stuck between, like, you get rejected from being British, yeah. you've been rejected from being Bangladeshi, and so, you know, what are you, you know, in essence? And I think that is, that echoes the sentiment of so many people from our community, yeah. you know, it, because you're, you're constantly in this kind of tug of war between the two. And you're constantly having to question that and you constantly have to justify your actions or defend your actions when choosing one or the other. And you can't be British and support the Indian cricket team. Exactly. Yes. This is another point I was going to, this is exactly <laughs> another point I was going to make, you know, like obviously I don't want to keep going on about sport, but I think sport has actually been one of the overriding factors in, in almost determining where almost your allegiances lie. But also it's, it's a really obvious way of understanding nationalism and where like you said where your allegiance is like yeah. it's like it's a really kind of open obvious way of doing it and a simple yeah. way of doing it yeah and uh but it always brings up these complex questions yeah no totally so obviously i am a massive india fan mm. and we've had this again on previous shows you can listen back in our archives about the fact that you know i i wholeheartedly support india when it comes to cricket yeah uh even though there is an english cricket team I will still support India, mm -hmm. uh, but I will just as equally, passionately support the English football team. I, I know there's an Indian football team, obviously there is, but supporting England in in football and then supporting India in cricket. Now, those are two very, very different spectrums. So again, that comes back to that. that I'm I'm all coming back to that frame of having to defend or justify or like you know to push my ideals across at every given point why am i not supporting england why am i only supporting india i feel very connected to the indian cricket team because of my family because of my dad because of our um our history basically with cricket mm -hmm. and and i don't feel that with the english team i've always felt they're very arrogant i've always felt that they're um uh yeah they've kind of at times in the past and stuff like that haven't showed much class and i i i don't stand for that and you could say the same about the, the football team but that's who i'm connected to that's the team of my heart because when i talk about being british and asian 
being British is is something that I'm very connected to with with football and supporting them throughout my life. And being Asian is something that I can very much connect to when supporting India. So that's the reason why I've always said I'm British Asian. But is there a right or wrong answer to that? I don't know. Here's an interesting question for you. Oh, God. When Bubs grows up, mm. say he shows an affinity for one of these sports, yeah. whether that's football or cricket, the opportunities for him here yeah. are to play for England. Yes. Yeah? Either way. I mean, this is just yeah, in a magical fairy tale world. Yeah, hypothetical. Right? What would you say? How if, would you feel if he said, Daddy? <laughs> when he's at 25, Daddy, I want to play for England. <laughs> right. Or if he says, Dad, I want to play cricket for England. I'd have nothing. I'd have absolutely nothing against that. I'm, I don't. I don't stand against the England fo- a cricket team. Mm. I just support India. And if you're against India, then I'm not going to be supporting you, am I? You know, so it's... So with, you wouldn't support your son? I'd support my son. <laughs> Obviously, if they're playing against India, I'd want him to, you know, you know, if he's a bowler, I'd love him to take five wickets, but then us to hammer England by like 300 runs. I've got no qualms with that. The thing is, like, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I have no... I have no um, discrimination or like I'm averse to the English cricket team or supporting England. It's just that I have a deeper connection to India when it comes to cricket. Okay. I've always had that. Yeah, that's fair enough. You know, I, but that that could, but you can question, people can question that. It, well, you're a Liverpool easily... fan from London as well. Exactly. None of it makes sense. This is what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> None of it makes sense. But, because if we live in a free world where you can afford, you can support whoever you well, want. Well, this is, this is exactly the point I make. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a place in time in 2021 and in a society that should allow me to be able to make those decisions in order to support who I want without any um, vilification. Mm. But you won't have that from someone that's English because they can do almost do what they want without any, you know, issues. Well, I mean, I, I don't know, like, yeah, maybe if you had a, you know, an, a British white person who grew up in India and had the opportunity to play cricket and they decided to play for India rather than Britain or England, mm. then Actually, I can imagine the amount of hate that they were getting yeah, in the British yeah, yeah. press. I was about they to were say, rain that in from. Rain that one in from. Rain that one in. Yeah, that three. Maybe thought. rethink that. Rethink that. Here's strategy. another thought. Go on. That I had after watching those penalties, the thing that really broke me because I was trying to not say, be emotionally invested because I have had my heart broken too many times to like now, you know, give that away anymore. Yeah. Right. But what broke me that night was. Saka's face when he missed yeah. instantly like that face his heart broke and you could see his heart breaking his stomach sinking like you could just see it right yeah and and I just thought I could I can imagine I could at that point imagine the what the comments were going to be or the yeah, racism yeah, yeah. that they were going to face right and and I just thought he's 19 he's a baby mm. and I have a son really who, what if, would I want him to put himself out there like that at such a young age and then be at the mercy 
of all the bullshit that we've heard and we've seen. Yeah. Like, would I, how would I feel? As, Cause I just thought of Saka's mom straight away. I was mm. just like, imagine you see your son, your child hurting that much because they, yeah, you know, yeah. their dreams have just been shattered. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want that for your children. Right. No, of course. But then, then to know that all of this shit is going to be piled on them. And he's only 19. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're all really young. They're all in their early twenties basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Still, 19 is very much a baby. No, of course. And you just think, oh, I don't know. I don't think I want him doing that. And so, you know, you see loads of like, oh, there's never any Asians in football. There's never any Asians doing this or that or, you know. And I wonder if, again, it's just that thing of not wanting to be, you don't want to be put out there. Like our families never wanted us to be out there. They never wanted us to be seen in those big roles i like, think I th like doing like playing for it i mean obviously like there's all these other factors talent and blah 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 that comes into it you know yeah, like yeah. there's a million other factors but is that one of them is that one of those things i think just there is there's just there inherent with our, our culture is a, a level of over overprotectiveness uh and i think that falls in your you know that's how that's coming across to me but then but but also like if you see you know, Rashford and Sancho and Saka and every other black player on the team getting racial abuse. Yeah. You just think how many more people, how, how many kids who can think for themselves, never mind what their parents say, mm. will want to be part of that, will want to play for England when they know that they'll never fully be accepted. Is this going to be, and this is a hypothetical, it probably won't be, but is this going to be the start of actually black players saying, no, you know, I'm all right. I this don't need to play really for you. Interesting question. I make my money with my club and I get enough hassle there without having to have the weight of the pressure of, you know, the whole of England expectations as well as them turning on me yeah. as soon as something goes wrong. Because, I mean, we saw, I saw hate for Sterling hmm. um, when, because everyone was like, oh, he dived. He's a cheat. Hmm. You know, our Lord and Saviour, Kane was, was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Sterling's a cheat. He's, and I, I saw that from England fans. Yeah, it's yeah, a shame exactly. that, you know, we played really well, but it's a shame about Sterling. Mm. Now, you know what the undertone was there. And that started earlier in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. And then, you know, he took a dive. Yeah, you know, it, it's this criticism that would never happen yeah. with the other, play, or the other white players. Yeah, yeah. As much as it was for him. And then, obviously, we saw what happened after the penalties in the final. And I just think, I'm yeah, just going to be like, I don't yourself, need this. Yeah, I don't why? need this shit. Putting yourself through, do you know what it is? I'd like, there's, there's two sides of that for me. I think there's a part of me that's just like, you cannot give in to, to the hate and that level of hate from these idiots. Like you've, you've trained your whole life. Like obviously like Sacco is still in the, um, the infancy of his career and stuff. He's got, a, he's got another 20 years potentially, you know, as a top level footballer, if he wanted to. And these kind of things in terms of like, you know, hate, whether it's racist abuse or whether it's um, like tribal rivalry abuse, like he'll get the same from Tottenham fans for being an Arsenal player or wherever, wherever he goes and stuff. Being away from abuse is something that's that's not likely to happen, unfortunately, because that's there's a there's a there's getting like criticism and there's getting kind of abuse for being a member of a team that you don't support yeah and then there's just racial no, of course, abuse. Race abuse of course I, I totally get that the point i'm making is is if if we're going to be in, in a position where 
people throwing you abuse or people throwing you hate is going to stop you from achieving your dreams, then that's not what we want to teach our next generation of kids. No, it's not. But right? they might just choose to opt out. But that's but that that's the thing. We we can't allow that tragedy to take place. If my son turns around and says to me that Dad, I want to be a footballer, my dad would have said to me, "No, you can't do that because people won't accept you. People won't people won't accept a brown face playing football." Mm. I don't want to be that parent to my child. I want to allow him to achieve his dreams. If he doesn't do it because of either his own talent or whether there's there's um injuries or there's hindrances that take place you know in his own personal life potentially touch wood he gets like, bored he gets bored yeah then then that's absolutely fine i would hate it if it's because he received discriminatory abuse at any level within you know working his way through the system and that stopped him from achieving what he wanted to achieve we can't allow our next generation of kids to have that mindset that because of outside factors from abuse from uh, the society, from supporters, from fans, would would be the overriding decision for them not to take up this career and take up that option. Because we do want to see, we're talking about representation, we do want to see Asian sports people, Asian footballers. And we can't do that if it starts from home where we're kind of constantly nascent, like, you know, stopping them from making that happen yeah no that's fine i agree you know i think we have to be the one if if i when i think about the fact that at some point we're gonna have to have the chat with him and at some point someone will probably say something to him when he's at school or whatever it makes me feel so nauseous it's hmm. unbelievable. Just the idea that anyone would ever say anything awful to my child makes me feel horrendous. Yeah, no, of course. Right? Of course. And I can only imagine what the mothers of those players are going through, right? Because you know, it's just fucking awful. All right. Over, overprotective mother aside. No, but, yeah, no, but also, like, it's the fact that we will have to have that conversation. Yeah, we totally will. But another an important one, I think, for him, and I think because we're... I've always said this before on previous shows also that we're looked at upon as this kind of transition generation as well. We're the ones that are the most conflicted in terms of our identity, I feel, between the British and the Asian. You ask our parents, they'll totally feel Asian. Like they'll, they'll be like, I'm Indian, I'm Pakistani, I'm Sri Lankan, I'm, you know, and yeah, I live in this country and stuff, but that's the that's my heart. And, and you'll have some few that kind of feel British, whatever, but mm. I think a lot of them will always have that sense of, you know, where they were born and where they were raised from most of their adult life before they came here. Yeah. Whereas we're obviously born here and we're, you know, we're, we were the, you know, born during a time of, you know, mass, you know, racism and discrimination and the rise of the right wing, etc. you know, in that, in that time. And the next generation below us, they, they haven't witnessed as much of that apart from in the last few years. And so they could potentially feel more British than they do Asian. And so when you think of our son, and by the time he's of age, how much of the Asianness will still be with him? I think it still will be because we'll make sure that we that we keep those those connections to his cultural roots. But is he going to feel a lot more British than he will Asian? I imagine so. I imagine so, because. There's a lot that comes with connecting you to your roots. 
and a lot of that comes from uh going back to, to india every few years yeah, where like most people like, done... my parents have got a house there they'll probably sell it i mean we, we've said to them to sell it because we don't we won't be going on holidays that much to india yeah um we the languages so now we both speak different and we've talked about this before we speak we speak different languages and so we talk to each other in english yeah exactly. because you talking to me in gujarati and me responding in punjabi is confusing as hell yeah, yeah um and so he doesn't really hear us speaking our mother tongue but we, very we often. could but we could like to, we we could do more from our side to obviously teach him you know, he's still at a young age and stuff. You know, he's still grasping English, let alone learning <laughs> other languages and stuff. So, but I'm just like, you know, just looking at like the future and where, you know, just not just our child. We'll take our child out of the equation and stuff like that. The children of our community, the, the kids that have only just been born in the last few years, you know, they the direction that they're going to take in the future in, in terms of their own identity and where they see themselves, a lot of it's going to have to come from us and instilling those you know, cultural roots, if we even want to, you know, um, but it's going to be really interesting to see where, where they see themselves, like, like, there could be a generation of kids in 10 years time that have no connection to the Indian cricket team at all, things like that. And they only support England and, and are vehemently English, despite being rejected by society and, you know, by, you know, by, by hate and by discrimination. So, it could could it be even more difficult? Because I can turn around and say, um, if you don't want me, like you, I, someone could turn around and say to me, you're not from here, you know, you're not British. But I'm like, well, okay, fine. I support the Indian Indian cricket team anyway. I don't, I don't, I reject your English, uh, you know, advances. <laughs> Whereas for a child in in 15 years time that wants to support the English team or the English cricket team, and is almost rejected in doing so by society, is a lot lot more difficult which is where the representation comes has to come into play yeah. for them to feel part of it and for other people to see them as being part of it they have to be seen in the team and i think in, actually like there has been asian players in the cricket team yeah differ. um which is which has helped asians yeah, yeah. who want to british asians who want to support the english team feel more comfortable doing that but you know it's yeah. crazy so just to, just a, a point of that is there was a game that i went to uh, about about six seven years ago now england versus india and predominantly indian crowd all supporting india there was one guy who was an indian uh an asian mm. guy that was supporting england i had an england flag with him and the level of abuse that he received from the crowd from sections of the crowd and people uh, calling That's him names to be and stuff. expected if you're in the rival teams it's like if you go to a Sunderland Newcastle match and you've got the one lone Mackham sitting with amongst all the Geordies they're gonna get some abuse and they're gonna hear about it yeah that kind of rivalry banter is different to being called you know racial names or whatever you know and all there's there's banter and then there's like abuse yeah no of course of course the, but banter aside it if you the bigger picture with that was because he, he was getting some physical uh you know it's kind of a, it wasn't just like people shouting at him people were coming up to him start pushing him around and stuff well and then so, that's wrong that's very wrong this is what i'm saying so what i'm saying is like that he was the minority at that point like legitimately because he was the only one that whole crowd in a few years time in in 10 years time it could potentially be a split of 50 50 between 
the amount of guys that support England, Asian guys that support England to the Asian guys here that support India, mm. you know? And and so like I said, we, we, like to see where it heads in the future is is a completely different thing. Um, but if we if we rein it back and stuff to talk about our identity and, and has this experience with what's happened in the last few weeks and the way it's ended, um, you know, questioned our own identity and, you know, in terms of how we feel, you know, because like we, there was an article today, wasn't there, um, that we saw um, talking about black and Asian supporters um, and their feelings about England and, and the majority of which I think you would speak to anyone that um, supports football. I think everyone I know was obviously supporting England yeah. and have always been an England supporter and will continue to always be an England supporter. But when you talk about England and the, the I won't even say the stereotypical England um, sort of identity as such, um, but I think when you talk about like the St. George's cross flag, that has a lot of unfortunate negative um, connotations involved yeah. with it as well. And I think they need like, if they want to take those connotations away, they need some really good marketing um, because it, I mean, we we still feel fearless, uh, fearful when we go past houses that are flying it mm. because it instantly makes you think, oh, okay, are they like, I mean, in the old days, like, are they national front? Mm. Like, that's what we would think. Yeah. And that would be the fear of of the flag. Yeah. Now, when I said earlier, when I was younger and I started painting my nails with, with, the, with the flag, mm. like... My dad was like, eh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what this is different. This is this is an unusual thing. Yeah. But I was like, well, why shouldn't I be? I support England, so why shouldn't I? The the flag took on a different meaning and it did this time round as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that at times like big tournaments, it the meaning of it changes. Yes. In between, in those years in between, it can still be feel a little bit scary. One of the stats was actually quite interesting in um, in that article. And it said um, 28% of white 18 to 24s, so yeah. youngins, um, and 25% of ethnic minority 18 to 24s say that they see the flag as a negative symbol mm. of nationalism. So a quarter of each group. Yeah. Um, even during sporting tournaments. So they're like, so it's not like me where I'm like, during the World Cup or during the Euros, it's fine. Yeah, Any yeah. other time, I'm really, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. They're just always not appreciating the flag at all. Yeah. Um, and then it said that these percentages are much lower amongst older people. Right. Okay. Okay. So, the older you get, the less. And I guess we're kind of older. We're older than that group. Yeah, we yeah. we have less of a fear hmm. or less of a kind of indication of a negative connotation than the youngins yeah do. i think well, i think because that generation has they've just obviously seen you know the big thing that's happened in the last few years has been brexit you know and so they've seen a lot of the the st george's flag being used as almost like a symbol of like this kind of you know nationalist representation also you have to remember so if they're in that 18 or 24 group they've only known the age of islamophobia yeah true yeah so like this year is the 20th anniversary. I think it was last week was the 20th anniversary of the Bradford riots. Yeah. Which were riots. Ab yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2001. One, yeah. So that was that was rioting that happened in Bradford um, from uh, black and Asian youths against 
the rise of white nationalism there. Yeah. And that, you know, they were trying to do marches and stuff. And so the, the black and Asian kids mm-hmm. uh, fought back. And then it's also the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yes, indeed. In September. Um, it was, last week was also the um, 16th anniversary, I think it was, of 7-7 of the bombings on the, on the yeah. tube and the bus in London. So there's these like these things that have happened in the last 20 years, massive, massive things that have informed um, the culture of this country. And we spoke about this before when we talked, you know, a few shows ago about um, representation and how we're represented on TV yeah. and the storylines that we're seeing in. They have all come about in the last 20 years. They've all been around, you know, Islamophobia. They've all been around um terrorism and and all the awful things that have happened right yeah and that's how we're seen and so those kids have grown up just knowing that yeah exactly and so that yeah. flag we grew up we had a small space of time yeah. in our age group with things a little bit more settled mm, yeah but actually over the last 20 years we've just seen this like growing hate yeah that yeah. is now I, i don't know i'm like is this the peak is it gonna get worse who knows but That's where I think their their view of the flag, yeah, yeah has yeah. come from. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, all right, so let's let's just let's look at what we as individuals mm. would identify ourselves as, based on based on everything that we've said here, based on what's happened in the past month. Has the the negativity that's transpired after what's happened in the euros affected your way of thinking in terms of how you feel with your identity no in the sense that i am british and i know i'm british and i have every right to feel like i'm british what makes me angry is the fact that people question my britishness and that they feel like they have the right to do that i that's what makes me angry it's the fact that i have to justify it or that i have to answer these questions Well, I mean, quite frankly, I just have to fuck off. But, you know, I don't want those questions directed at me or at anyone else who is born and bred here, uh, but just happens to be of a different skin colour. Yeah. Or from a different background. Because you can be, you can look white and it probably won't be as obvious straight away. So you probably might not get as much hate straight away. But some people still get that, the hate on on a kind of smaller scale than we do or the, yes. bl- the black community does but that's what makes me angry is the fact that people still feel like that they can question me yeah because who the fuck are they <laughs> i totally agree that and that's actually very um close to what i would say for myself um you know i i hate the fact that after 40 odd years of not only being born here raised here doing my education here existing existing here paying my taxes here you know everything that i i am having to question my identity and i think that's the sad part is the fact that i'm we're having this conversation and this conversation isn't even happening is even happening in the first place mm. you know i i am british and i am asian and i'm proud of being both and I shouldn't feel I have to question that. I, I I kind of feel that I've done enough in my life to have represented both of those cultures 
to the best of my ability mm. and champion both of those cultures um, through not only this platform, but in everything I do in life. And as far as I, as far as my identity goes, it should be the only thing within my life that shouldn't need questioning. And it, and if anyone's going to question it, it should only be yourself. Exactly. And that's and that and that's an issue because that is something that I'm constantly having to feel conflicted by. But our generation's inner conflict shouldn't come from the fact that other people have questioned us. It should just come from the fact that like, oh, but I want to I want to be part of this, but I want to be part of that. That should be the only thing. But what plays into that then is also people questioning us constantly, like, where are you from? Yeah. Who are you? How do you say your name? You know, those things that make us feel other. Yeah. When we shouldn't. Absolutely should not at all. People, let us know your thoughts based on this conversation. You know, what do you feel? How do you feel? Do you identify yourself more as British than you do Asian, if you are a British Asian? Um, it, do you identify yourself more as as Asian and you just live here? <laughs> um, you know, because I've, I've, there's a lot of people I know that are that feel a lot more Indian, you know, and and very staunchly associated to India, but are born and raised here and stuff. And so, you know, there, there's no, I don't feel that there's a right or wrong answer to this, but we would love to hear your thoughts. So hit us up on at Native Immigrants with a single M on Twitter or at the Native Immigrants podcast on Instagram, because we would love to hear your thoughts. And on that point of feeling more Indian, is that because of the way you've been made to feel by Britishness, by yeah. British people? Or is that just genuinely because you have more an affinity? Like, where does that come from? Or is that from your, your family? And, you know, that's another, that's a whole massive other topic of conversation in terms of how much influence your own family has on you and your identity and pushing you towards one direction or the other. Not wanting to integrate. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. That's a different topic. A different topic indeed. But thank you all so much for listening to this week on The Native Immigrants. We'll be back, as always, in two weeks' time for more of the same. I am Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. It didn't come home this year. Next year, World Cup. Next year, World Cup, exactly. Come on, England. <laughs> come on, England. Got India. even more countries to beat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully India, who knows? Come on, India. Come on, <laughs> Oh dear. Back to square one. But anyway, we'll see you in two weeks' time, people. Peace. See ya.